Hello and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening for the first time, this podcast is a new project created by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. And one of three hosts have a conversation with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. I'm one of your hosts, Lucy Greenwood. I'm an international arbitration practitioner currently based in London, but previously I spent 10 years living in Houston, Texas. And I'm currently co-chair of the International Committee of the ABA section on dispute resolution. This week in resolutions, we're talking with Rekha Ranjachari, the Executive Director of the New York International Arbitration Center. Good morning, Rekha, and thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, and thanks so much for having me, Lucy. It's a real pleasure to have this opportunity to catch up with you, Rekha. We're going to discuss diversity in ADR um, this morning, but before we do that, it would be great if you could give us some background into how you came to take on your present role as Executive Director of the New York International Arbitration Center. Um, it would be my pleasure. I also, before I did that, want to extend thanks really to the ABA section of dispute resolution. I think podcasts like these are very important, easy access points to get to know folks in our community whether we're actively involved in the ABA and leadership or otherwise. So thanks not only to Lucy, but to the ABA um, for having me. So as to background, um, before I became executive director of NIAC, I spent a lot of time in the institutional world as a case counsel with the ICDR, focusing on their European and Sub-Saharan Africa cases, um, and then um, as director of ADR services for the New York Commercial Division. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to say that, you know, in that role, while very um, both inward-facing on institutional practices, also outward-facing because we often were collaborating with folks in the field. And I think there's a lot there as we go into talks on diversity um, that we learn from institutions as well as the users. Absolutely. And um, just to give us an idea of how long you've been in, in these roles, uh, Rekha, how, how, when did you first start uh, focusing on international arbitration? So um, I started, you know, in law school. I was, I was lucky to study at the University of Miami with many leaders who were coming to Miami under um, Jan Paulson's guidance uh, to, to share their knowledge with us. So after law school, I spent some time working with various professors. Um, across Europe, and then returning back to the U.S., started my time um, at the AAA and ICDR. So I started with specifically the ICDR in 2012, um, moving to the commercial division a few years thereafter, um, and I've been now at NIAC for about one and a half years. Gosh, I hadn't realized it had been that long already. It seems, it seems just yesterday since you joined there. Um, so you've seen quite a lot of change, I'm guessing, in the diversity space um, since uh, you began sort of practicing full-time in this field in 2012. Um, is that right? Can you sort of put all that in context for our listeners? Yes, I think that's um, very accurate. You know, from I will, I will add, you know, from an institutional perspective, but really speaking on my own behalf, um, and not on behalf of AAA ICDR, there has always been a big push, you know, to see what do the rosters look like? What are we offering in terms of um, diversity defined by thoughtful, curious decision makers who 
were diverse in their perspectives, right? And so when I started at the AAA ICDR, um, we were constantly looking for who are the the folks that should be added, that should be trained, that um, were doing a thoughtful, rigorous job of finding the right candidates in addition to supporting those that are already part of the rosters. Um, I have to say that really it's a lucky vantage point sitting in New York, the headquarters of the AAA ICDR, during that tenure, because New York is is really, um, I think, a special place, but dissimilar to the rest of the U.S. Here in New York, we're lucky to say that diversity exists in many aspects, even if overall, no matter how we talk about diversity, ratios may be lagging, um, and, and lots of census bureaus um, speak to this. But nonetheless, you know, when I sit here in New York, I have to remind myself that I'm not having the same dialogue with practitioners as my colleague sitting in Houston, for example. Um, it's just really a different kind of space. Um, so I think in general, when we talk to what's been happening over the course since I've been in the practice, I think not only has diversity become a hot button, but looking at the institutions to say, how can you lead us? The focus often I find should not be alone on institutions because it then becomes a collective action problem where somebody always pushes the issue to somebody else, right? But I really must laud the institution for picking up the reins and instituting various policies, however they felt the rubric should be implemented, to say, we are going to take a stance. We're going to do what we can, um, whether it's this 20% of a list at AAA, ICDR should be diverse, um, to, to various other initiatives, including, I believe, at CPR and JAMS, you know, this rider language of, of talking about diversity and putting it in um, so that the parties actually have to sign off on honoring diversity through the process. Um, so really, um, that was a nuance, that the institutions really got behind various initiatives um, and really started talking about them, started being transparent, a word we use a lot in the arbitration and mediation space, but what does it mean? And I think they're really giving teeth to that in the diversity space and dialogue. And you make a very good point, uh, Rafa, and it's perhaps one that isn't um, necessarily thought about uh, enough, is that you know, diversity as a kind of nebulous concept means different things to different people, and depending also where you are geographically in the world, and I think from my perspective, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. The U.S. And, and probably New York in particular were doing a lot of work in this space perhaps um, a few years, I would say, in advance of, of certainly London and, and possibly the rest of Europe. Um, in, and also you mentioned that institutions should be leading this. I, I think they, they are and they, sh they should be. But the onus as well as on everyone to take sort of personal responsibility to address these issues. Can you sort of share with us some, let's put all this in context before we get into sort of the individual initiatives that are out there. Have you got some uh, stats about, you know, how uh, diversity is categorized, addressed generally? It's not just about the underrepresentation of women, which is often the um, primary focus at the or has been for the last few years um, in, in this space. If you could just take some time to put up it in context for our listeners, I think that would be really helpful. Well, you know, I think you've hit upon something that I am constantly um, talking about with folks. How do we define it? And frankly, it is 
um, a really thoughtful um, process because it it really changes depending on whom you're talking to. So you hit upon one aspect of diversity, right, which we often lead to gender. Um, and because also there are a lot of stats out there about um, gender, you know, and just to make a quick point, I was looking in preparation for today's chat about what are the stats as we look at the U.S., for example, where where I'm sitting, um, the fact that 51% of women um, take the lead as first-year law students in the U.S. Um, is really remarkable because I do think that the practice of law is changing in one example being diversity. But what about all the other um, colorful factors that add into diversity, however we define it? Um, this could include race and religion. Um, this could include um, sexual orientation. Um, it could include age. And the list goes on. And and I'm now reminded, actually, um, the Arbitral Women Group launched um, a diversity conference in November of 2018. And one of um, the panels that I was sitting on, I asked, actually, the room of about 80 to, to define diversity. And, and you would be really intrigued that it covered all of the gamuts. But then we had to back up and say, what are the categories that we can actually publish to say, yes, we are working on initiatives um, that cover these definitions of diversity? And that's really the rub. That's the difficult part. Because if you're going to put out statements saying you're trying to change the landscape of diversity, you have to also be able to list cognizable efforts. And it's not always possible against a huge backdrop of different definitions. Um, so, when we move past gender, you know, the ADR Inclusion Network, it's a group that started here in New York, and I'm certain that there are many like-minded organizations like it that really define diversity broadly. Um, I laud them because they now have um, an initiative where if someone is looking for a diverse panelist on a program and they don't know where to go, they can go to this site and search there for really intelligent, revered folks who could offer expertise on various areas and industries, um, but who are also diverse. Um, and, and they go broad scope, um, right? So I think we really need to laud all of the groups that are in the space beyond just the gender perspective. These include the Affinity Bar Association's affinity groups um, that are all doing their part, I believe, to host conferences, to share education. And then this is the biggest thing I'd like to underscore. We are really in a stage of cross-collaboration. I think it's something that's very special to the international arbitration community as well as the domestic community. But we no longer need to sort of um, carve out our own spaces. What, what others have learned, they share it with us and vice versa, so we're not constantly remaking the wheel. Um, and so, um, as we move from looking to the institutions which have taken the lead, um, very, very appropriately, it now becomes our onus, all of us practicing in the space, whether as academics, as students, as lawyers, as counsel, as arbitrators, as mediators, to embrace it, to help one another, to join these various groups, um, whichever allies with our interests, and to make sure that we are we are serving as um, advocates of diversity um, in getting the message out. Absolutely, and and 
I mean, that, that is a, a, a very important point, and I want to just pick up on it. You know, we need to be able to give people the tools and the vocabulary to address these issues. One of, one of the difficulties we have is um, that historically people have been perhaps reluctant to flag up um, the lack of diversity in our field. Now I think we are much more open to discussing it. You now see it, as you say, you see a full conference on it, like the wonderful Arbitral Women Conference in November, full conference addressing diversity. You wouldn't have ever heard of that a few years ago. Um, but how do we give people the tools to address this? So, uh, you know, that, that really is uh, the conundrum, I would say. One example is at that um, conference, Arbitral Women launched something very novel. They launched an Arbitral Women Diversity Toolkit, and it's a toolkit that provides training modules to take trainees through these different aspects of diversity to dialogue on what was the problem, how do we change it, and you do it in you know, I would almost say a moot setup, right, where you get to practice so that if you ever face it in real time, um, there's a very cognizant, conscious way uh, with the right rhetoric to deal with it. And that's both to somebody who's experiencing a limitation because of the, their diverse background, but also an observer who might be in the room who could serve as an advocate to that person. And so it's initiatives like these, I think. Also, I will note um, at the upcoming um, annual meeting for the section of dispute resolution, the panel I'm on, one of the things we're offering and trying to be constructive with our dialogue um, and offer tools is to hand out um, a sort of worksheet that takes folks through what are um, questions you should be asking yourself, whether you're coming from the in-house perspective, you're coming from the council perspective, where you could incorporate diversity into the role of selecting an arbitrator, into the role of who you select to be on your council team, um, and, and how it's a lot easier sometimes than we than we we make it. But is it happening? Right? It's much. It's it's always easier, of course, to wax on about how important diversity is and how we all have to change the landscape. But how do we put it into practice? And I think. I have to laud all of the groups, and there are so many that are actually speaking to this is how we put it in practice. And another thing I'll offer, you know, um, is I know here here in New York, at between NIAC and the AAAICDR, JAM and CPR and the USCIB, we're all coming together in early May uh, to host a diversity program focused towards affinity groups, invite only, to say, please pick the folks that will be coming thoughtfully because it is supposed to, to um, provide a pipeline for those who are practicing that want to become arbitrators and mediators because soon we're going to need a lot more folks with different perspectives coming in, right, as those that are already practicing retire and rotate off to go into other disciplines. And we need to be ready for that, um, right, that sort of, intellectual dump and to fill the gap. And so how are we going to do it? We have to start now. We have to start now in training um, future leaders. We have to start now in dialoguing about the interplay between litigation and arbitration. Um, but also we need to be speaking to M&A folks who we need that expertise in our field as well to know how the deal gets done so that when the deal starts to unwind, 
how do we address it? And so um, many initiatives like this one I see cropping up all over in parallel with the multitude of conferences we're all attending with great fervor. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited that at any conference there are thoughtfully crafted diversity panels that are taking action items to the audience and saying, this is how we do it, because we're in that phase now, no longer just talking about theory, but we're in practice. Yes, and, and I think, I mean, that's enormously exciting to hear you talk about those, those various initiatives, particularly that uh, diversity program you mentioned in early May, uh, because I think you're absolutely right. This is the time for concrete action. Um, we've maybe spent the last sort of five years talking about this and, and raising awareness of the issue, but now it's time for real change. And as I say, not just real change in relation to the underrepresentation of women, which I always see as sort of the tip of the iceberg, but actually the whole 90% or so that's beneath the surface, which is to try and build a more representative community uh, from, the, from the bottom up. So, so that is very um, exciting to, to feel that change in the community. One, one thing I wanted to um, make our listeners aware of um, is the new diversity corner that you've just um, announced that you're going to be putting in. Is that right into the newsletter? Is that right, Rachel? It might be helpful for our yep. listeners to hear about so we're that. Uh, Lucy, thank you so much for bringing this up. Um, yes, so I'm, diversity is something that's very important to me and also very important to the NIAC community, um, much like it is to many others. And so I really wanted to create an information hub because often I get phone calls that, that ask uh, very relevant questions and, and I direct them to multiple sources. But if I can help in that um, information gap uh, to pull uh, different diversity initiatives that groups are doing all over the world, really. My focus is not just U.S., but it's global because we are learning so much about what others are doing in all parts of the world. Um, so, one, to pull the initiatives that are happening so that we educate collectively. Two, to spotlight um, on different leaders and how they're making access points. Um, and then, and then finally, three, create a discussion portal as well. Um, all of this is in the works, and so I will add uh, with some humor that, you know, putting this on, on the web, on our site, and, and what's possible, and exploring that with our web developer has been really good fun. And so what I would say um, as an assurance is please stay tuned, because I am really thrilled, and I'm really thrilled to invite all of those listening as well to to reach out, to let me know. Um, the NIAC website is easily accessible, but so is the contact details they're in, um, to give me a shout. And so um, if you don't mind, Lucy, um, the the site is www.niac.org. Go there, tool around in it a bit, and to the degree you have something to add, please, there's an easy way to click and send an email to me. Please do it. Um, so we make sure that when we're including information, it's comprehensive. Um. No, thank, thank you for that, Rika, because um, that's a really great point. I mean, there is so much going on, and rightly so, um, right from the, um, the arbitration pledge 
um, of which I'm on the steering committee for, to the Alliance for Equality and Dispute Resolution, which seeks to address other underrepresented groups, obviously arbitral women. There's so many organizations out there all working to um, raise awareness and address these issues. And, and there's, I think, enormous goodwill uh, in the community for doing that. So, um, yes, please do take, take Roker up on that offer and, and go visit the NIAC website. And uh, as, as I'm sure they will all be delighted to hear the various voices in, on this discussion. Well, Rachel, we Lucia, pretty much have... Can I add one more thing? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I wanted to make sure, you know, I was um, reminding myself this morning before our chat about the ABA's Resolution 105. And I have to really say, too, you know, the ABA is doing so many great initiatives. And part of the dialogues I know as leaders we're having internally is how do we let the ABA community know what all we're doing? Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's podcasts like these and it's, um, it's other meetings um, that we gather at that we remind everyone, hey, this is all the good work we're doing, um, and I'm sure you're doing it too. So let's share knowledge. If the diversity corner imparts that, um, I think we're going to be really successful. But I also just want to laud everyone in this space that that really is doing impressive work, and it doesn't always get cited to. No, that's a that's a wonderful note to conclude on, right? Because I think we can um, often feel a little bit down about um, you know, the perceived lack of diversity in our community, but uh, the, we have seen enormous change, which is where we started this conversation. We've seen enormous change in the past few years, and I really see um, uh, us poised to make really big strides in this arena. So thank you. Thank you for all your efforts in this regard, and thank you for giving up your time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much to you, Lucy, to the ABA, and to everyone listening. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. And until the next installment of Resolutions, I'm Lucy Greenwood. Thank you very much, and goodbye. <laughs>